All right, ladies and gentlemen, it's been a long time. Shouldn't have left you. Thought a dope beat to step two. Uh, I know it's been a while, ladies and gentlemen. We want to apologize sincerely for that. Uh, Luke and I have been very busy, uh, and we sort of transitioned into what's called, or what we're going to call season two. Um, so right now, you would have actually heard our new music, our, our intro, and you're going to enjoy our outro as well. Some really good instrumental music that we sort of picked out, our hand picked out for season two. Um, so you'll see that happen pretty much every year uh, when the new season sort of starts is that we'll take a bit of a hiatus uh, and start sort of planning out what the next year is sort of looking like. Uh, but on top of that, like I said before, we've been pretty busy with our own lives. So we wanted to use or dedicate this episode uh, on the Black and White podcast to sort of just talking about uh, what's been going on just overall. How's life going on? Uh, how's mental, you know, mental health check, even for our audience members too, as well. Uh, and sort of what the future looks like uh, as we are still sort of living in uh, a pandemic and sort of moving on to this new normal thing as well. Um, so thank you again for listening to us on this black and white podcast. Boom, 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 boom. All right, um, Luke, um, I don't know where to start. It's an open-ended question. How are you doing? Uh, I am I am surviving. Uh, I made a move from Vancouver back to Kelowna, got a job working at the University of British Columbia. Um, you know, it's been interesting trying to, trying to move my stuff from Vancouver back to Kona um, after thinking I'd be there for a little bit longer, but you know, hard to pass up a job that is immensely positive and allows me to sort of help students again. Uh, my role is to sort of guide them uh, towards a career, helping them with resumes, interviews, workshops to help them become more professional. Uh, so, you know, it's fun to sort of have my hands in every single pot of the university and sort of get to meet people. Um, it's a good way to sort of establish yourself somewhere. And, you know, as I say, the coaching is still always the dream. And the best way to, to move forward in the university coaching is to is to be deeply involved in the university. And whether it's that university you, you end up coaching or you know, in a university that sort of sees your hands in all those pots, it's definitely a positive thing. So. Question for you. Um, are you, you're still, so you're coaching at UBCO, correct? Yeah. And you're still with Langaria too currently, or is that, I know you were with them for a little bit. Yeah. No, yeah. It's okay, so you're um, with both. So at the beginning of the year, when I was in Vancouver, I was with Langaria in person coaching and I was doing a lot of the video stuff and analytics for UBCO still. So I was still associated with them. And now that I'm in Kelowna, it's like literally taking the reverse where I'm, in person with UBCO and then doing all the video and remote, analytics yeah. stuff remote for Lingara. And obviously when, when Lingara comes up and plays uh, Okanagan College, I'll try and be on the bench for that to sort of support them. But, you know, it's really, really strange having that <laughs> flip, flip mid season. Like what I'm really finding is that coaching dynamic, like the, the bench, it's a strange dynamic to just be that guy that kind of pops in halfway through. Uh, Cause everyone's sort of, established their hierarchy they've established you know how they respond to the head coach and who's responding to what and uh, i sort of come in and I'm, I'm not a new person i've been there before i was there before you know two of the three coaches um you know and one of them being there before i would before any of us were even there but uh you know so it's not like i i come in and i'm the bottom person totem pole not to say i'm the highest either but like mm -hmm. you know it's not not so clear where you fit in and you know, sort of awkward, awkward at times. And yeah. you, you figure out how to be useful and that's what's important. As long as you're helping the team, I don't think it really matters right. what, what position you're in per se. 
another side question as well. Uh, let's talk about cities. Um, where does Vancouver rank in terms of, I mean, you've lived in a few cities before. Where does Vancouver or, or even Kelowna, where do they rank in terms of cities that you, uh, you know, livable cities for you? Yeah, well, I think uh, I often say that every city I've lived in has its positives uh, and what makes it a great city. Uh, you know, for me, I always say that San Diego is the best city I've ever lived in. And just from Woo-hoo, culture, San Diego Chargers. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> they left. They left. <laughs> they left me. They left. They left. But, you know, culture, weather, uh, vibe of people, you know, you're not in the southern states, you know, a little bit more liberal. So, you know, there's no, you know, no politicization of the experience per se. Um, but, you know, I think Vancouver is a, a nice city. I think it's really busy, like really compact and a lot of homelessness. And, you know, it's hard to, hard to see the drug addiction problems and, you know, it's been, it's been rampant and I don't know how much the city has done to sort of address it. Like mm-hmm. where I was living, if you drive down, um, East Hastings, like it looks like a shanty town with all the homeless people on the side of the street. And like, it doesn't really look like anyone is helping them move forward and obviously COVID uh, impacts a little bit with like homeless shelters and all that, but still it's, it's tough to see sometimes because you know, mm-hmm. not everyone is, not everyone is there by choice. Some people right. are there by, by circumstance and you know, the difference being in San Diego, obviously there's homelessness as well, but th- it looked like there was efforts to change it. Like, you know, mm-hmm. moving the stadium downtown to try and revitalize it and help people get the support they need. And, you know, they, they, did things to make it try and make a change whether the change happened or not it's a different story but you know actually Kelowna is the smallest city I've ever lived in and it's the 19th largest city in Canada <laughs> <laughs> are you trying to flex here that you live in only big cities it feels that way it feels that way sometimes like Winnipeg's big like big I think it's like ninth biggest in Canada 800 right. and something thousand but yeah. you know even Winnipeg has its nice things I always, I always laugh and give myself a little bit of pride that I'm, in, I'm still in a t-shirt and everyone else is in their winter jackets here. You know, and people are like, are you, are you not cold? And I'm like, no, I'm sweating. Like it's plus 10 outside right now. It's not, yeah. not, not, that's not, not cold. negatives. It's not yeah. cold, man. It's, I don't know where we're going with this, but <laughs> you know, but yeah. What, what, yeah. Weather's definitely a relative thing. Oftentimes, like wherever I go, like when I, when I was in Phoenix, obviously you know <laughs> i like the cold so I, I remember going into the uh oh, we were preparing for a wedding uh and i went with one of my aunts to uh, a grocery store so they have like on the side before they walk into like a walk-in fridge uh to grab some stuff they have like these coats on the side that you can wear as you're walking in she looks at me she's like How? And, uh, and she's like what are you doing i'm like uh it's not cold at all. Like it's nothing for me. I even got some weird side eyes from people. They're like, what's going on? Like, why is this kid not right? So yeah, I mean, whether, you know, heat, cold, all these things are particularly like just relative things. We're so used to, yeah. uh, you know, I'm sure in BC there, it's not too hot. It's not too cold sort of thing. Whereas Arizona, it's always hot. <laughs> like if it's yeah, cold, yeah. it's like, it's like for them, it's like the blizzard. It's like the, it's like the apocalypse. Right. Whereas in Winnipeg, it's extreme heat to extreme cold. So we see sort of both sides. But I always say if you can handle the cold, like if you can handle winters just in general, wherever you are, I think you can pretty much handle any weather in the world. 
but that's just my opinion. Uh, so Winnipeg, all my Winnipeggers, we can handle anything. We can handle this, right? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's my thoughts on that as well. So uh, really interesting stuff there, Luke. Good stuff, good stuff. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, Toronto, too. I guess I got to give a shout out to Toronto because they basically talked about every city. But, like, you know, mm-hmm. even Toronto, I think there's like a – I can't remember what it's called, what, what cafe, but it had like a colorful latte. And they they showed it on a what's that show called The Amazing Race Canada, and I was like it was like near my house, and I had to go there, and I was like I gotta try this, and I was like it was pretty legit, like good food, they create drinks. Like, well, the the coffee was like legitimately like a colorful latte, and like the barista being able to figure out how to make the colors, I was like that's really impressive. I'll come back to Toronto for this. <laughs> you know? All right, so. so that's on the Toronto itinerary. Anybody interested in traveling to Toronto, make sure you know about the that cafe. I'll have to figure out. I'll have to figure out what's called. I'll give it a plug. Maybe they'll become a sponsor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let me know. Fact check me. As for me, nothing much. Same old me. Just adding more years of experience at St. Maurice. Very happy again, as I usually say. It's my dream job, and sort of, we'll see. Um, it'll be interesting to see. You know, people just generally tend to change when they have a job. Uh, people tend to change in their job. Uh, they might say, you know, I love teaching, especially when we talk about in the context of teachers, they might say, you know, I love teaching this and that. And then you normally see, especially in the first five years, uh, burnout is pretty high. Uh, so, um, usually you see teachers getting tired or things being dragged along and they're being upset. But I mean, I, me personally, I couldn't be more energized myself. Um, like I said, I'm in my third year. Um, I'm very happy because, uh, as you talk about college basketball being a thing, uh, we had just found out news that high school basketball will be a thing, uh, but public health has ordered uh, that high school players actually be double vaccinated. Uh, so you can be in the process of being vaccinated. You can have one vaccination, for example, in December and get that done. And then by January, February, you can have your second or whatever uh, and be good to go. Um, but they have basically said you have to be double vaccinated in order to play, which tells me that they're doing everything in their power to make sure that there is a basketball season. So I couldn't be more relieved because basketball, um, as part of my teaching, basketball is a huge part of our identity or my identity, so to speak. So I'm really looking forward to that. I've already uh, been able to do a couple things with uh, my teams. I've been able to uh, run Saturday and Friday sessions with the girls and boys respectively. So I've been doing that, been getting them back in shape and playing a little bit of basketball and just getting them ready for January, the upcoming season um i've started an anime club uh anime anime it's more of a video game anime club it's more esports so i got kids playing video games during lunchtime uh on one of those days where they just kind of game and get to hang out and talk and play super smash bros or nintendo uh and then i'm also starting a personal finance uh lesson sort of course uh with the pre-cal kids because a lot of times the pre-cal students which is the large majority of our of our high school that uh, end up going into pre-cal, they always, you know, they don't get an opportunity. They're not taking a business course to learn about sort of life skills. So one of those life skills is being able to manage your money. Notice that a lot of those students also work. So, you know, how, you know, when you earn money, what are you doing with that money? Most, most times kids are, well, if I have 200, I'm going to spend 150 or 175. Um, so it's just one of those avenues for kids in this case to learn. So that's, sort of on my itinerary in terms of being a teacher. But for me, the overall theme here is just uh, being able to, I think, uh, reinvent myself, so to speak. You know, I've never thought I would teach a personal finance class. 
you know, never thought I would be able to talk to anime with kids. I love anime, but just never, ever sort of materialized out and made that tangible. So for me, one of the things that keeps me sort of challenged or me, me uh, challenging myself is constantly being like, okay, well, I have this time. What are you going to do with that time, Habin? Are you just going to, you know, you're going to moan and drag it along? Are you just going to constantly think about marking and working? Or what can you do with that time with the students in order to, in this case, keep yourself excited and keep yourself going? And so for me, being in my third year, those are the things I'm doing. Those those weren't things I would have done in my first year, for example. So uh, I'll, I'll sort of leave it there and I'll let you ask me questions or if you have any questions for me. Well, I mean, I think it's oftentimes we, we see people um, miss out on the opportunity to make an impact in their, in their job. They, they see their job as what it is and there's no way to do some value add. And so, you know, for you to do that, even that personal finance course, like how many kids actually get personal finance unless they're taking the, what is it? Consumer math. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, it's still an essential math. Yeah. And I mean, like those people, you know, are considered, that's like considered the lowest math. Like I know when, when I was at Linden, yeah. like, if you were taking consumer, you were considered not smart, and you didn't yeah, want to it's take. It's a stigma. Consumer. It's the it's a stigma for sure. Yeah, yeah. You had to take pre cal if you wanted to be considered smart at school, and like that's why the majority of people took pre cal. And like, like I don't use anything with tangent <laughs> lines and analyzing the, you know, this and that, and like finding the uh, iso isotope or whatever it's called. Mm-hmm. What's that called? That line where the where the curve doesn't touch or whatever. You know, I took pre cal and I don't remember that. <laughs> Like, like, like the, the, fact, the fact that i can't remember what it's called like it, it shows like and the stuff i use now is is like personal finance stuff and like so for you to provide something for the students yeah you're removing some of that stigma and still allowing them to learn things that are probably more useful than any sort of calculus pre thing that they'll ever learn unless they're trying to become an engineer right yeah, I'll so, mention I'll mention something about that too as well i think like you said like there is a stigma like could you remember like what percentage of your grade, your grad class that actually took pre-cal like uh, co- un, uh, co- compared to essentials, like the comparison? Do you was, like an estimate, was, like 90%, was, 95? Probably. It might not be, might not have been that oh, high, but it was, okay. it was like, it was probably like 85% to pre-cal. 85, yeah. And then 15 took um, consumer and... You have applied, the by the way. You also have applied. I forgot about applied. that. 15 was about applied and, and essentials like consumer or whatever it was. Yeah. Um, and oftentimes the ones doing applied were also taking pre-cal. So it was like that mix. Whereas the ones taking consumer were only taking consumer because they needed to take a math. Yeah, that's that's what it is. Like, I have to take a math. I don't like pre-cal. We don't even have applied in at St. Marie. So for us, it's either pre-cal or essential. The focus on our school a lot is math, science, and STEM field. So you don't normally see, you know, a student taking essential math. My biggest class size so far in my 30 years in essential math has been 10. Yeah. 10 out of, okay. you know, 40, maybe sometimes out of 50 kids. Um, so, yeah, there is that. Unfortunately, there is that stigma of, you know, students being like, uh, you know, I don't want to take this essential match because I don't want to look like I'm not intelligent. But as you said, especially in grade 12, you know, I can't really speak, you know, grade 11, there is a little bit, but when you get to grade 12, you learn about house finance, you learn about uh, vehicle finance, you know, buying a car, what does a car look like? We do a project where, you know, you have to actually do the research and, you know, pick a car that you like and figure out what the, for example, the, you know, the, the, uh, the monthly payment rate is or whatever that might be, or, um, 
uh, or like I said, personal finance or career life. So I feel like these are all things that really every kid should learn. It should be really, you know, I've had a talk with my principal about this and he said, you know, these are things, you know, have been that everybody should learn before they get out of high school. Like this should be a mandatory course. I couldn't agree more. So maybe it's something again, again, the whole reinvention is maybe this is something that whether it's, you know, school wide, remember, maybe it's uh, Manitoba wide or federal ride, or just school, you know, just the school itself, that, you know, it's a course that we offer for, uh, for our kids, because, again, they always talk about these particular things, about learning these things. So excited mm -hmm. to do that for them. Um, where do you where, where do you see it going with uh, clubs and things like is there other types of areas that other teachers are doing or yourself like other teachers are doing or so what do you mean like do you is it is it set up so like there's like a club time like this is the time for clubs or is it just kind of like oh. after school before school doesn't matter right it's usually our jurisdiction so we get to decide when we want to do clubs and all that if i'm talking about like those gaming clubs for example i just usually like to do it at lunch I don't like to do it as an after school thing. I know the kids are really busy with all the work and everything. So I do that after lunch, but uh, the personal finance thing is more of a, at least it's still in the works people. So, uh, but it's one of those things that I'd probably do like once a week or something uh, for the kids once a week, right after exams, when their load is small and everything and uh, just get them going. Uh, but again, it's one of those things that's also optional. I'm not going to be like, ah, you, you're forced to come, but think about it. You know, if you have a job and you still need to you know learn about finance i mean it's it's a perfect opportunity to take so it's one of those things where you're responsible you know you take accountability for yourself to know okay you know what this is something that's important i should take that but you know don't tell me that you weren't given an opportunity when you were right so uh it, it just goes back to the whole accountability piece there um so i mean that's that i'm excited about that so that's some good stuff but let's talk um let's get into basketball let's talk about our like our philosophy and coaching and all that um and maybe i don't know where to start with this but where do you think do you feel like you've grown since let's say from linden christian our time in linden christian your decisions there and making this you know uh who you are uh as a head coach at linden christian back in uh well you've been head coach for a bit but uh let's talk about our time so 20 I believe it was our first year was 2015 2016 if i'm not mistaken or 2014 2015 one of those years uh, we started. So think about the Luke there as a head coach to the Luke uh, now. Like, what have you? What have you felt like you've changed in? What have you learned? You know, what 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 have you picked up on as a coach in your development? Uh, I think a lot of it comes down to, um, for me, a lot of it is is reading the knowledge and accepting the knowledge and looking to grow in it. Um, it's easy to say in my way is the right way and nothing can convince me otherwise. Um, <laughs> but, you know, that's sort of why I picked some of the mentors that I picked. Like, uh, you know, Kirby at University of Manitoba was probably the best choice I could have ever made. You know, I had I had a choice to sort of ask him to be a mentor or Mike Rainbow. Uh, and not to say that Mike Rainbow is not a great coach, but I, I found that Kirby was a teacher. He wasn't a basketball coach because i think rainbow came from you know like university of northern british columbia so he was already like a coach yeah whereas kirby's coming from high school you know he's, he's a teacher like he he's did a teacher, yeah. he did he did assistant coaching at uw obviously but like you know his prim primary position was a teacher and so teaching players but also teaching the coaches uh, i think that was invaluable experience for me because i learned how to 
perceive things and that's sort of what helped me at Linden. But then, uh, you know, for me, a lot of it came down to like, I saw one thing and I thought, you know, that's great. Let's use it. And, and not really looking deeper into like, how can we use it? Um, and, you know, now oftentimes, like when I, when I do get to be the head coach, which isn't very often anymore, because um, I'm trying to progress in that career. So I'm often the assistant coach at a mm-hmm. university or a college like Langara and UBCO. Um, but it's finding like actions that you can do rather than a play. Uh, and within those actions, so if the ball goes to a specific spot, we, we want you to do this. We want you to look at doing this. Uh, you know, whether it's a high post entry and then we're looking to pin down or whatever. But you basically give them two or three options that can occur from that and you make the decision to do whatever makes sense based on what the defense is doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was at Linden, it was oftentimes, um, you know, there were outside voices that were trying, you know, trying to guide you and, and mentor you in their way. And for me, that was that was just not the way I, I received information. Right. It didn't, didn't really work well for me. And so oftentimes it was uh, doing things to please those around me rather than do things um, to, to grow, uh, to make the team better in the future. And so I really adopted this idea that um, the player is secondary, the human is first. And, and that more holistic um, view of the athlete rather than you're here to play basketball, that's it. It's, you know, you're mm-hmm. human. Like, how was your day today? Like, what did you, what happened? Like, what's up? Um, you know, that type of stuff. Because when they, when they're a good human, they become good players. When they're having a hard time, they're often bad players. Because there's so many things in their bag that's weighing them down that we don't care to address. And so for me, I think that's the biggest thing, you know, from team from 2015 to 2021 is, is that more holistic approach to the player, you know, and how can we balance, um, creating a system but also allowing them to be free within that system yeah so you know creating a safe space uh, creating a set of rules so that they can still be free to play but they're following a set of rules to make the most successful choices i'm i'm gonna plug in again uh this guy uh, i mentioned him or you'll you'll hear uh this person mentioned in another uh in the other episode as well uh billy donovan uh, i sent you a video about him And one of the things he talks about specifically is legacy. Uh, And one of those things in legacy, I think, and it kind of goes towards me as well. Uh, But what I picked up on from you, and then I'll make another comment as well, is that legacy, okay, what is your coaching legacy? What do you want to be known for? Uh, And he said, I don't want to be known for how many games I win or how many championships I win. Keep in mind, Billy Donovan, in the NBA, still very solid coach, hasn't won much, right? Won probably quite a few handful of games, of course. Uh, his record's probably pretty solid. But remember, keep in mind, this is the same guy that came from Florida with Jokey Noah, however, he was, they dominated. I think they won back-to-back championships, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. Um, yep. So he came from a very winning culture to, you know, the NBA, OKC, Chicago, um, where, you know, he's a solid coach. I mean, you know, you're thinking highest level guys, all they care about is a win. And this guy is telling you, like, it's not about the wins or the championship wins or the games you win, but it's really about how do our players in this case talk about us when we're gone? So listen to that carefully again. 
how do our players talk about us after our after we're gone so you sort of talked about rather than just talking about oh let's play basketball and basketball 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 you said it how are you doing today you know developing that report in that relationship um because you're coaching a person you know you're coaching a kid you know you're coaching a 7 16 17 18 year old kid uh but you're also coaching or you're looking in this case at the version of when they are 30 years old than they are when they are now you're thinking about well how can this person become a better player or a better person uh than they are right now than you are focused on even the basketball skills and i i think that ironically we talk about basketball so much and coaching and winning games winning championships and yet you have a coach here in billy donovan telling you these are the things that matter most is the person the human um so i i find that very powerful uh and i think that's sort of a philosophy and i'm sure you've grown on that you've had you've had that quite a bit as well even in high school or you know even coaching high school you had sort of that mentality as well um that's something i personally had to uh had to figure out and it and it took a long long time it, it took me a really even in linden i don't think i had that to be honest i did have the whole relationship aspect i really did enjoy these kids but i i never stopped myself and said who cares about that game or who cares about that championship I was constantly worried about okay are we going to win a championship this year are we you know are we how far are we going to get or we're constantly talking about it right we're talking about our achievements oftentimes um so especially and it took me till covid funny enough took me basketball like basketball getting ripped out of my hands to realize basketball was not what was important to me it was really just having that connection with those kids and being able to just hang out with them and have a good time and you know being able to play the sport that we all loved so um i just wanted to make that point something i grew as well um and then the other thing that i'm you know i was really interested as you were talking is is you know not only do we learn from you know people's experiences like we always learn the good stuff we learn you know we look at youtube videos but we also learn you know what not to do okay again we're not picking on anybody in particular we've talked about our experiences in private it's not something we need to air out but even me personally um even as a kid uh when i was you know being coached by particular coaches in my high school you know i learned really quickly what not to do you know like uh i, I think i told you before like we played a zone against gray academy though people who don't know who gray academy is they're a three point shooting team why would we be playing a zone we had an opportunity the whole year to work on man to man defense and yet our coaches believed well you know these kids can't do something they can't play defense well did you give us an opportunity to play man to man did you give us an opportunity to play you know rather than focusing on oh well they're great at zone let's just focus on zone sort of thing so i've also learned from other coaches uh whether it was good or bad that experience i'm particularly bad coaches for me um uh, although i've had some good ones when i was younger uh, i've had some bad ones unfortunately um the other thing i'll say too as well and i'll sort of pass it on to you as well you can talk about this um leadership uh, i i think sorry attitude let me repeat that attitude is a reflection on leadership listen to that carefully so attitude is a reflection on leadership what do you yep. think what do you think that means to you well, I mean, right now there's a there's a leadership problem in some of the things that I'm <laughs> involved in. I mean, 
just in general, if you were to say yeah. in general, you look at and just in general, you, you look at somebody that's leading the charge. Yeah. And if they're not, you know, exhibiting, modeling, good behavior, positive yeah. role model, well, you know, that trickles down to the kids. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, yeah. you know, I, go ahead. Well, I think, go I think, well, I think, I think a lot of it comes down to uh, both the attitudes of the players, but also the attitudes of the coaches, depending on what age, age and, and yeah. level of play sure. they are. But like um, the receptiveness of leadership is one thing. So you're, that's relating to the attitude of the player. How receptive are you? to leadership because um, if you don't care and you just want to do your own thing then it won't matter how good the the leader is how good they are exhibiting those positive leadership qualities um, but it's also you know whoever the leader is whether it's a player or the coach is trying to be the leader um, with their attitudes like uh, representing themselves at all times because um, I know that's you know people will get emotional and they'll sort of do things that they don't normally do when they're emotional um, and that the attitude of, of um, what would be the right word? Uh, maybe, maybe integrity is not the right word, but having a strong integrity is like um, how you behave behind closed doors is how you behave in front of the door. Um, and so if we have this issue with emotions and we can't behave the same regardless of the circumstance, then there's an issue there. I think that's what really is important. Yeah. No. Um, also, I got that quote from uh, one of my favorite movies recently, Remember the Titans, um, which is a really good movie. If you haven't seen it, you got to go watch it. So, um, yeah, just to add on that, too, as well. Um, like, it's just, yeah, it's just frustrating because I think one of the things or the account, it goes back to the accountability piece. I think, number one, who's the most accountable? I think right off the bat, it has to be the coach. Um, not to say the players are not absolved from those sorts of things, but the, um, the person that generally leads, especially when we're talking about, if I'm talking about even high school, uh, or you're talking about university, who's the one making the decisions, not the players. They don't make the final decisions, the, you know, the adjustments, the, it's the coach. So it's really imperative that that coach who's in this case, you know, uh, supposed to be your leader, supposed to be the person that leads the charge is the one in this case making sure that you know for example developing a system that benefits the players not them right my system is amazing it's great but does it do, do your players in this case fit the mold for that no so then what are you doing why are you using the you know what are you why are you playing a five out uh when all your you know most of your players are post players and or the vice versa right if you don't have many post players why are you playing a three two you know what I mean? Why, why aren't you, you know, why aren't you uh, allowing those kids in this case uh, to grow a little bit? And then it goes back to what you said again, you know, you, you're always asking about the whole relationship aspect about, you know, how your kids are doing in this case. The other thing that I really like about that or building relationships is the other thing is you get to understand them more, like forget their profile and understanding them or what they're about, but you just get to know in this case, you know, what's going on in their lives. Uh, because oftentimes in this case, Oh, you know what? They're going through something. Usually you find out, okay, especially if they're open with you and they're, you know, having conversations, usually ch children, especially if they tend to open up, they'll tell you, right. They'll be, they'll be pretty honest. If you know, they're comfortable with you. Hey, you know what coach, not really, 
you know, I'm not really up to it today or, you know, something happened with my family or something. And then you start to, in this case, develop an understanding. Oh, you know what? Whoever it is, Billy's not doing well uh, in this drill or he's not doing so well in this drill or he's not listening too well. Well, obviously, understandably so. He maybe lost a loved one or maybe, you know, he's dealing with, you know, somebody being in the hospital or something serious. Of course, right? But, you know, as coaches, sometimes we don't even go to that level of understanding with our children, with our players. Um, so I, I think that's also a very important piece as well. Um, did you want to add to that or are you shaking your, you're turning your head there? <laughs> no, I was just, I was just checking out. I heard somebody knocking on my door, but, um, <clears throat> well, I think the, I think it is interesting to see sometimes, um, how people respond to this, like just desire, like just desire to grow and, you know, Oftentimes it feels like that growth mindset versus that fixed mindset. Um, what are we trying to do? Like fixed mindset would be like my system works. It's been working for twenty years. Um, we're going to do the same thing regardless of who the players are. Yeah. Growth mindset might be like let's let's see who we have first, and then we can decide what to do with it. Uh, we might have an idea, but we can adjust and make small adjustments to make it work. You know, like when I was at U of M, we had the same plays every year, but small adjustments were made to them, depending on who it was, who who it was involved in, in the actions. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so it's not to say you have to eliminate everything and change it completely, but like you want to adjust so you're enhancing the player's abilities, not minimizing them. Um, you know, and some people, are, some people are different in that regard, but oftentimes I fall in that camp of, we want to best fit who's playing for us rather than force them to fit what we right. want to do. And sometimes that's very small adjustments. And if you're having to make a huge adjustment, you probably shouldn't have chosen that player to, to play for you in the first place. Right. Uh, because you're having to change something so drastically to make it work. Um, you know, so for me, it's, it's finding that, finding that balance because right now what I'm seeing is it's, it's often one or the other. It's you're finding that balance where you're able to make those adjustments, or you're completely ignoring the situation. It's it's really bad, um, you know. And so I think I think a lot of it comes down to people having this uh, pseudo idea of of success. <clears throat> they they experience success, and they think it's because of what they've done, rather than it's who was there, um, and that sort of impacts what it looks like for the future, you know. Five, ten years down the road, they they don't have any more success, and it's it's the player's fault. It's not mm-hmm. the fact that this, the system maybe worked for a particular set of players. Those guys are gone now. All right. <clears throat> so you know, something interesting to take a look at because it's the same thing of life. It's not just about sports, but about even like you and teaching. If you teach the same way for twenty five years, you know, the students you taught in year one might be might have been receptive to the way you teach but 25 years down the road those students might not be receptive to how you're teaching and if you don't adjust then what do you they're do? not going to get yeah. well they're not going to get adequate what are you adequate from? education mm-hmm. you know who, who's who are you helping who are you benefiting as you say yeah um and that's really what it comes down to is that growth mindset you're going to change your teaching style to benefit the students not to benefit yourself Exactly. No, uh, very good points. Uh, we've talked about sort of a, a piece of philosophy there. We've talked about it like different aspects of sort of more profound pieces of uh, 
of, uh, of philosophy there. If we get into pure basketball, let me talk a little bit about basketball here. Um, we're, um, I'm a defensive guy. I've realized that. Like, I'm starting to reflect back and look at what I take pride in the most. I look at all, most of my teams, or I, list, I look at, first of all, first and foremost, I look at the teams I actually was a head coach on. Because mostly when I was an assistant, I more of just sort of adapted, so to speak, to coach's philosophy. Yep. Um, I'll pause one second. I'll pause. <clears throat> so I look at defense uh, as probably like as a head coach, because, again, I've had uh, situations where I've been assistant for most of my time. So I was assistant for you. Uh, yes, although were. we call it co-coach, whatever, <laughs> whatever you want to call it. But I, I, no, 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 as an no, assistant, no, 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 no. you were my assistant. <laughs> <laughs> You're ruthless. So I, I, I would, I, as normally what assistant does is they adapt in this case to the coach's ideals or the head coach. So when I look back at when I was in the, actually had the opportunity to head coach, um, defense was probably number one for me. So part of my, in terms of basketball philosophy was, you have to be able to play man-to-man -man defense. I would, I'm more than willing to help you in this case, equip you with the skills and the know-how and you know the fundamentals of individual, you know, defense and then team defense and all those sorts of things. But generally speaking, if you could not defend, whether you were my best player or my worst player, you're going to get very little time on the court. Okay. You might get a little bit of time here and there, especially in high school. I try to be mindful of playing time a little bit more. You know, I, I do want to win, but I do want to give these you know kids an opportunity to grow. But if you cannot defend or you have no interest in defending, you're simply not playing on my team. Uh, that's sort of what it comes down to. So I'd say everybody uh, that I had coached in this case got with the program. They understood the importance of defense, uh, especially at the high school level. Um, you know, um, and then the other part to that was uh, I'm starting to fall in love with the seven seconds or less offense. I think I talked to you a little bit about the five out, but the seven or six, seven seconds or less offense, sort of that fast break offense. One, because one, as a coach, I just simply want to be entertained uh, when I'm watching some basketball. <laughs> but I also think it's an, it's actually really efficient. Again, if you can play really solid transition defense and defense as a whole, seven seconds is, you know, a good way uh, to attack because a lot of these kids, you know, you might, might be a little bit different with the college and university. You can tell me a little bit about that. But uh, one of the one of the biggest weaknesses I noticed, especially in the zone we're in, zone 12, is that a lot of kids are very, you know, not the greatest at transitioning back from offense to defense. They're always looking like, oh, OK, let me set up my zone. All right, I'm in my zone. Now I can play defense. It's like, hold on. Wait a second. We just got scored on. I, was, I, I don't know the proper adjustments. So uh, the reason we were able, in this case, to win uh, just before COVID, a lot of uh, our success came from just easy transition baskets. Okay, we didn't even we didn't really have the greatest set offense, but we we were just able to get out of there, get run, running, get out of there, be able to score quickly, and then just hold teams to 40, 50, 60 points uh, per game. So uh, it, I, I would say those are probably things that I'm going to carry on from team to team, and then make, as you said, those little adjustments depending on my team. If I do have a bigger team, maybe I, I will focus more a little bit more on the half court offense, but. It, St. Maurice usually just produces very, you know, uh, 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 decent basketball players or, you know, decent to good basketball players. But unfortunately, we don't get the, you know, we don't get the redwood trees. You know, we usually get a few kids that are, you know, six feet and over. But if we're, you know, I should, I already know the profile of my school. We're only, you know, we're working usually with five, you know, five, 10 or under. 
well, clearly I'm going to be more of a what? A run and gun team, right? So knowing your profile is also important. So, you know, what are your thoughts on that? Or maybe, you know, the teams that you've coached as well and kind of the importance in this case of adjusting your your basketball plans? Yeah, well, I think uh, a lot of it comes down to, I think we should have, you know, as a coach and someone who is good at coaching should have an understanding of everything. Um you know, offense, defense, transition, whatever you understand and you have a system for all of it. And then you can adjust and apply and emphasize certain pieces of it, depending on what your team looks like. Um, it's akin to like my job right now as a career development specialist. It's like saying, okay, have a master resume, every job, every volunteer thing, everything you've ever done, have it in a master resume. It could be 15 pages for all I know. Okay. You'll never give anybody that resume. You'll always take pieces from those resume from this resume to create the one that you're wanting to give to the company, because it, it most it is most applicable to that company. From the jobs, the volunteer, the projects, the the statements, whatever it is, and so that resume might be only two pages. And so it's the same thing with the coaching. It's like you have this master plan for for every team you could ever coach in your life. You're going to emphasize and take pieces of that for that particular team that you have right now. And that's going to allow you to succeed because you may not always be at St. Marie's. You might end up, say, for example, at Linden, where the profile of the school and the profile of the athletes are different. So if you're going to take a St. Marie's plan to a Linden plan, it might be disastrous or vice versa, right? Right. <clears throat> and so if you have this master idea of what basketball looks like, you can take the pieces that are relevant for each school and be successful regardless of where you go because you already know how to do it. Uh, I think that's really what's important. Like, I, I know for me, I often spend a lot of time looking at the trends and understanding, well, what does this league like to do? And, and oftentimes I'll say, well, let's do the opposite because that's what they're practicing <laughs> for. Right. Yeah. Things as simple, things as simple as transition, not to get like super technical or anything because it can get kind of boring, but the traditional transition is to run two guys down the wing, hit the baseline, bounce up, you have one guy running straight to the rim and sitting underneath the rim, and then you have the ball handler and the other person trailing with them. That's the standard transition. So the transition defense is often uh, in order, basketball, next next most dangerous. Right? So that's how they build their mm -hmm. transition, off, transition defense. Well, the simple solution to all this is instead of running a rim runner, like a guy that goes straight to the rim, run the same two guys out to the wings, yeah. And then run that 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 rim runner to the forty five on the yeah. other side, yeah, right. Because because now if you pass it to the guy on the forty five, then the person who has next challenges the ball, then you kick it to the person open in the corner, and now mm -hmm. who has to get him? It's the guy guarding the rim, and that's a very difficult. But he was at the rim. <laughs> he was at the rim. Well, he's, at, he, he's at the rim, but it's he's like it's like a 20, 20, 20 foot closeout, right? Mm -hmm. Which is disastrous. Whether you no. take the shot or you, you drive on them, especially yeah, not so, at your level. <laughs> You right. give no quarter. Right. Yeah. But but even even at high school level, like yeah. we're training people, we train people in a certain way, and we think it's the only way we can train them. The reality is you can train <clears throat> transition defense to be whatever you want it to be. Obviously, there's a there's a conventional way to do things, but just because you do it a different way doesn't mean it's wrong. Mm -hmm. Right. They say there's a conventional way to shooting a basketball. Well, I wrote a paper that proved that it's not correct. Right. Like, why do we assume that there's a conventional way and that's the only way you can do things? Um, 
players adapt and coaches adapt and people do things in ways that may seem unconventional but are very successful because it's unconventional. Um, you know, it's the same premise of seeing students and athletes and humans who are considered green bananas. They mature at a slower pace. You know, why do we ignore those people because they're not ready now? I don't need a grade eight stud championship team. We want to talk about kids when they're in grade 11, 12. You know, that green banana that I, that I didn't have on my team in grade eight is now could have been the best player in the league, but is not because I didn't take him on my grade eight team and allow him to develop because I didn't see what his future was, his potential or her potential. Mm -hmm. Right. And so we often get stuck in this confined view of life where what we see right now is what it has to be in the future. We don't see the potential in humans. And that oftentimes is why certain universities and certain high schools do better than others is because they're really good at seeing the potential. Yeah, no, uh, I think that's a sort of perfect way to actually start ending it. So I'll give you sort of the like last set of words here, your sort of final thoughts or maybe takeaways or things. Maybe uh, if a new coach is listening to this, you know, what, what should they really take away from all of this that we've talked about? Yeah, well, I think it's um, really comes down to like two or three things. Like for me, obviously, I'm trying to do this as a career. Like I'm really still trying to get it as a career. Whether it happens or not is a different story. Your positioning is that you have a career and you're doing this because you love it. But we're really not. We're really not that different in terms of how we approach things. Obviously, mine is attached to I get money for it, and you sort of do it for volunteer or volunteerism, and so. You know, there's that small little piece to it, but the reality is um, we want to look at people and see them for who they are as humans, not for who they are as an athlete. That's number one, seeing them as humans, not athletes. And number two is who they are now is not who they'll be next year. It is not who they'll be a year after that. Mm -hmm. They'll be different. Whether they, whether they get worse or better is up to you mm -hmm. as, a as a coach, I should say. And, and up to them as well as a player. Like, what do they do in the offseason type stuff? But, like, who they are now is not who they'll be next year. They will be better or they will be worse. All right. And it's up to you and them to decide what way that goes. And so take risks on players. Give them a chance because you might be surprised. Because uh, oftentimes people see, like, it's, again, we can bring it back to the NBA and the Lakers. We see the Lakers. We see the name recognition. We're like, that must be a really good team. Right. But they're not, they're not doing that well because other teams – have progressed. They have improved. The Grizzlies, like Morant has become one of the best players in the league. Not, not too long ago, people thought it was a bad choice to draft a number two. Mm -hmm. You know, it's the idea of seeing that potential. And uh, so, you know, I often say to players, like, I, I believe in you. I, I believe in your abilities. I believe you can get there. And sometimes just saying that is good enough for them to, to turn that corner when they have a bad day. And that could be the difference between having a really good player and someone who mopes around and crappy stress through their, their lives. I'll uh, uh, I'll mention yeah. Sorry, finish up. Sorry, I was gonna mention one story too as well. No, please mention your story because mine's a plug because I remember what the coffee shop was. <laughs> <laughs> we'll finish. We'll we'll finish with the plug. Uh, very quick story, and then going back to that, I told you. Remember that my philosophy was defense. Right, important piece was that you need to be able to defend. So I told you. That in this case, kids will pick up on that and find the importance to that. I had one student uh, in my the JV team or the, the year that we won uh, in 2019, 2020. He couldn't play defense. Like he didn't know positioning. He didn't know where he was supposed to be. Uh, he, 
but he had the athletic ability to do it. Um, regardless of that, I saw potential and he worked diligently on it so hard to the point where I couldn't ignore it anymore. Um, first, first couple months or first month in the season, it was, it was a liability to the point where I was like, I can't put you on, like, you have to keep working at it. But his mindset was rather than being like, uh, as you said, you know, uh, you know, having the attitude and being like, ah, whatever, I'm not going to fix it is well, how can I fix it? How can I get better? So he asked me questions. He picked my brain. What do I need to do here, here, and here to the point where he ended up getting most improved, but he was such a key cog when we lost our best player in the finals, he ended up being the guy in this case that stopped key baskets. So when I think of from where he was at that time in January, December to where he was in this case in April, it was amazing. It was truly an amazing uh, development that he made. Um, but if I had just said, "Oh, whatever," to defense and said, "You know what? I don't have any. I don't have any principles. I don't have anything that I care for," he would have just been, "I don't care about defense. Who cares? I'm just going to do whatever I want because coach doesn't care." But the fact that I told him how important it was to defend, his improvement went leaps and bounds to the point where now he's going to be my first guy off my first met. He's going to be my first, second, third guy in my rotation. He's going to be starting to the point where he has these skills now, as you said before. Now he has all these skills. He's ready to go. He's well-equipped. He's confident, and he's excited to play. So uh, give me that plug, Luke. Give me the plug before we finish off because I see your mom in the background. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying, trying to make a special appearance, but uh, it is versus coffee. Versus 70. coffee? 70 Adelaide Street East, Toronto, Ontario, N5C2R6. So if you want to sponsor us, please do so now. Yeah. <laughs> so ladies and gentlemen, uh, we'll finish there. You heard you heard the plug from Luke. Uh, we've talked plenty. Uh, love to hear anybody's thoughts on coaching philosophy, or if there's anybody that's actually interested in coaching, you know, come talk to us. We know our stuff. Uh, so that wraps it up for this episode. Thank you again for listening. We will be back soon. I promise uh, we'll use our time to make sure that we get out what we need to say. Um, so thank you again for listening. Goodbye. Peace out and have a good day.